We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible today, let's open up, first of all, over to Psalms 127. As I like to share with you, kind of a consensus of uh, just different studies and things throughout the years of what I would call uh, mommy theology, um, what the Bible says about being a mom. You know, you should have a little handout right here, and uh, on the top it has a little poem, a word to moms. It says, the moment a child is conceived, so is a mom. The moment a child is given or born, she from that point in time will adorn a new title, a new task. And one day God will ask, were your responsibilities your priorities? For being a mom is in some ways the highest call of all. But not to worry, moms, you have God's grace, his word, his spirit, and his love. You have all you need, but please take heed to raise his kids to live above. You know, and how awesome it is to be a mom and how awesome are the responsibilities that come with that. I hope you know, uh, moms, that in all reality, being a mom is the most influential role in the world. You know, it's been said, you've probably heard it many times, that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. You know, what a difference you make. You know, once the New York Times was asked to help a group of women, there was a women's club, to decide on the 12 greatest women in the United States. After due consideration, the editors replied, the 12 greatest women in the United States are women who have never been heard of outside their own homes. Jones concludes, I ask you, who was greater, Thomas Edison or his mother? When he was a young lad, his teacher sent him home with a note that said, Your child is dumb. We can't do anything for him. Mrs. Edison wrote back, You do not understand, my boy. I will teach him myself. And she did. The results, I'm sure you know. We pay our bills to Southern California Edison, you know. <laughs> American inventor and businessman who developed devices that greatly influenced the whole wide world inventions that still are with us today with over 1,000 patents in his name in this country alone, along with other countries all around the world. There's a Spanish proverb that says, an ounce of mother is worth more than a pound of clergy. What a difference you moms make in the lives of your children. How amazing moms are. You know, and today, you know, every once in a while we get to do a study on moms, you know, we need to do this. Some of you here are new to the church. Maybe you've never heard, or some of us here, we've been moms for a while, but you need to be reminded. You know, not too long ago, you could almost assume that all moms were good moms, but times have changed so much with women's live, illusions and conclusions regarding the roles in the family. And you add to that a very self-seeking society that we live in, and what you find is that not all moms are good moms because of the fact that the enemy is trying to wear down your role. And so today I just want to share with you the biblical responsibilities for moms. It's not an exhaustive lesson, but it does cover the call 
And, um, you know, one thing I want to share with you, I know every child is unique, every home is unique, but there are Bible fundamentals that we can hold on to for every mom. And we begin, first of all, by looking at childbearing. Because look what it says here in Psalm 127, in verse 3, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. You know, we as God's people need to be very careful not to buy the lie of Lucifer, the father of lies, who in one sense lies to us to tell us that children are a burden and not a blessing. No, what we read right here is children are a heritage from the Lord. And the word heritage, it speaks of one's portion. It speaks of one's inheritance. Children are a reward from the Lord, and we need to see them as that. You see, moms are called to childbearing. And as a woman embraces her role and her responsibility and reward as a wife, a homemaker, a mom, she will be embracing what Almighty God knit her to be, made her to be. This is why most moms are good moms, almost instinctively. And in all reality, what we find, you guys, is as the moms see children as the heritage, the portion, the inheritance that they are, as they see their children as a reward, as they see their children not as a burden, but as a blessing from Almighty God, you will experience the joy that God intends for you to have. As a matter of fact, there's a beautiful passage in Psalm 113 in verse 9. It says, He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. A joyful mother. The NIV and the NLT say a happy mother. You see, when you're a mother, a Christian mother, you can have a happy Mother's Day every day, right? Because this is the role and responsibility God has given to you. And so I want to encourage you to rejoice in that. To number one, embrace the role of childbearing. And then secondly, to embrace the role of child caring. And you're going to tend to your children physically, emotionally, and of course, spiritually. You tend to them physically. Let's go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Notice it says in verse 7, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. You tend to them physically uh, as a nursing mother. A nursing mother, of course, we know this speaks of moms feeding their children. But a nursing mother, I think those are two words that, you know, describe a mother in an apt way. In other words, uh, moms... A nurse, you know, she's not just an MOM, she's an RN, huh? She's an LVN, right? I mean, she's pretty much the one who takes care of the feeding, but she's also the one who takes care of the bleeding, right? And both are necessary in order for our children to live and in order for our children to grow. She applies to their cries, right, when they're hungry and when they're hurting. You know, it's kind of funny, and most of you guys can probably relate to this. When your children are hungry, or you wives, you moms, you know, you're the one who takes care of their meals, huh? I mean, I watch my wife naturally, faithfully, consistently, daily, every day, daily worry about what my kids are going to eat. And my kids are all grown up, man. 
you know, to my shame, it doesn't even come into my mind, you know, or my heart. I just figure, you know what, they'll live. I mean, what's the big deal, man? You know, you make them a sandwich, there's Pop-Tarts there in the cupboard, you know, and, and when they're hurt, right, most of the time, the kids don't typically go to dad, they run to mom, they can make a beeline towards her. Why? Because mom is the nursing mom. Mom, M-O-M, is an R-N. She's an L-V-N. She takes care of them physically. It says right here that she cherishes them, right? And the word right there in the Greek, it literally means that she keeps them warm. She's the one that does that. Again, to my shame, now that my kids are adults, I would never, ever, ever think to ask them whether or not they brought their jacket or their sweater, right? You know, because, hey, you know, you know better, right? But Shelly, she never fails to ask them, did you bring your sweater? It's going to be cold. You know, it's always been that way. She has kept them warm ever since they were in her womb. And when they were born, she bundled them up in so many blankets and covered them like a burrito. <laughs> you know, and I wondered, can they breathe in there, right? But she was the one taking care of them. Why? Because she knew her role as child-bearing and child-caring. Moms are supposed to do that for their children. Sometimes you see moms, they don't do that. And you know, just a reminder, don't let the enemy condemn you, but bring a blanket, you bring a jacket, you bring maybe a change of clothing for your children because accidents happen. This is what moms are supposed to do. Like a nurse, when they need feeding, when they're bleeding, cherishing them, keeping them warm, and they do so with tender, loving care. Uh, moms need to tender their children as a nursing mother, and then as a as a loving mother. Um, go over to Titus, chapter two, a little bit to your right. In Titus chapter two, notice in verse three. It says, The older women likewise that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to wine, much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. The Greek word to love here is a beautiful word, philotechnos. It speaks of something very special. It speaks of a mother's love for her children. You see, the idea that flows out of this word is that of caring for her children, nurturing them affectionately, embracing them, meeting their needs, and tenderly seeking each one as a unique gift from the hand of God. Now, generally speaking, most moms just naturally have this special type of motherly love, right? Most of them do, but not all moms have this all the time. Uh, some moms, unfortunately, uh, don't have it at all. But God can do a work. And what we see right here is that word in verse 4 that they admonish the younger women. You know, and it can, it comes from the word of God. The word admonish, it means to take someone who's drunk and awaken them as they're in their stupor. God says you can sober them up by admonishing them and reminding them they're supposed to love their husbands and they are called to love their children. Some moms need to be taught and all moms need to be reminded that those children are fallen creatures trying to make it in a fallen world and so they desperately need your love. How will they make it without your love? And so we need to admonish them and remind them to love their children. 
You know, and, they, you know, they're bred and fed and led through life. And without the true love of a mom, chances are they're not going to make it. Even though I know it's tough at times. All of our children are different, right? Uh, the mother of three notoriously unruly youngsters was asked whether or not she'd have children if she had to do it all over again. And she said yes, but not the same ones. It was kind of funny, man. <laughs> You know, and it's, we, we joke, and of course, you know, in all reality, though, I think you guys know that that's not really the way it is with moms. Moms have the capacity to love all their children, warts and all, and that love of a mom is always translated into a series of what? Never-ending work and chores and service and tasks that only a mother's love can help them do. There's no human love. There is no human love like the love of a mother. There really isn't, you know? And I can tell you many illustrations. I read one today, and I read one a while back. Uh, years ago, a young mother was making her way across the hills of South Wales, carrying her tiny baby in her arms, when she was suddenly overtaken by a blinding blizzard. She never reached her destination, and when the blizzard subsided, her body was found by searchers underneath a mound of snow. But they discovered that before her death, she had taken off all her outer clothing and wrapped it around her baby. When they unwrapped the child, to their great surprise and joy, they found he was still alive. This is a true story. And she had mounded her body over his and given her life for her child, proving the depths of a mother's love. Years later, that child, David Lloyd George, became the prime minister of Great Britain. The love of a mother. See, and I know it's there, it comes instinctively, it comes naturally, but at times we need to be reminded what a difference you make through your love, whatever phase of life your children are in, your love will give them life. Thirdly, as a working mother. If you go over to Proverbs 31, this is the chapter that, you know, I know so many ladies read and aspire to. Proverbs 31, in verse 15, it says, She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservant. She, she rises early before the sun. That's what it really says. And, you know, she's making those homemade tortillas, man. She's chorizo con papas, right, uh, salsa, things like that. She does it early as a working mom. We see it there. We see it in verse 18. It says she stretches out her hands to her the distaff, and her hand holds the spindle, verse 18, and her lamp does not go out by night. So here you see the Proverbs 31 woman. She's waking early. She's actually staying up late. She's making food for her house. She's making clothes for her kids. She's working hard. You know, you guys already know this, but if you don't, you should. It's common knowledge that all moms are working moms, right? And when you're at home, man, you've got a lot of work to do. You know, a teacher gave her class of second graders a lesson on the magnet and what it does. And so the next day in a written test, she included this question in the test for her sixth graders, a second grader. She said, my full name has six letters. The first one is M. 
I pick up things. What am I? And of course we know the answer is supposed to be magnet, but 50% of her kids said mother. <laughs> because that's what moms do, huh? I mean, they just pick up things all around the house. I don't think there is any other role or responsibility in the entire world with such grand demands, and yet they give and give and give of themselves and work for and watch over the ways of their household, the children that they cherish. If there's one thing I've learned over the years, and that is this, and I mean it, and I'm not just saying this to score points with anybody. You moms really are amazing. You have several sets of hands. Uh, you have eyes in the back of your head. Um, the way that God has made you is fearfully and wonderfully. You work and watch and serve and see, and you do so much from the sun up to the sun down and even in between. You work and labor tirelessly. A four-year-old and a six-year-old one day presented their mom with a house plant. They had used their own money and saved up their change, and they went and bought it, and they brought it to her, and she was so thrilled the older one said to his mom with a sad face, there was a bouquet that we wanted to give you at the flower shop. It was really pretty, but it was too expensive. It had a ribbon on it that said, rest in peace. And we thought it would be just perfect since you're always asking for rest and peace. <laughs> Why is that? Because moms, you work so hard, right? As a working mom as a gentle mother if we go back over to first thessalonians chapter 2 it says in verse 7 again but we were what gentle we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children you know the word gentle it speaks of being mild and soft calm kind and tender Gentleness is the antithesis to harshness. Moms, guard your heart. You know, we have to be this model mom that God made you to be. Not that you moms let us get away with things, but you were and you are soft by design. Your voice, your touch, your tears. Thank you for your gentleness. We read right here that you nursed us, you cherished us, you fed us so we wouldn't die physically, and you cherished us so we wouldn't die emotionally, and both practices used by God so we wouldn't die spiritually. You know that gentleness is an attribute that comes from God in James chapter 3, verse 17. The Bible says that the attributes of gentleness is vital for all women. We read that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. And so we want to encourage you along those lines to be gentle, just like Jesus was in Matthew eleven twenty nine. He said, Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You see, childbearing and child caring, that's what God calls you to do, and to do so physically and to do so emotionally. There's a passage, you don't have to turn there, but it's in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 13. It says, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You see, when God wants to describe the comfort that he offers to his people, what he does is he lifts up a mom and he uses her as an illustration. He says, Just like a mom comforts her kids. And this is what you do to them emotionally. 
you know, most of this comes naturally. Uh, moms seem to have a sixth sense in areas like this. There's a reason you're softer and gentler. There's a reason you usually cry a little easier. It's because God made you to be different than dad. Kids are supposed to hop on pop, right? <laughs> Not on mom. I mean, dads are supposed to have some rough and tough elements, but moms are supposed to be gentler, gentler tender. And when their child's heart is hurt, and you know, it'll happen throughout life when their heart is hurt by all those bad bullies all around this world. You will be the one, Mom. Oftentimes, God will use you to comfort them. Not just physically, but emotionally. Because we live in a cold world. And Jesus said it's going to get colder in Matthew 24, verse 12. You know, and you have that, you know, mom radar about you. Your kids come home, maybe it's from school, and in your heart, you know, you know that maybe something's wrong. They won't always tell you, but that's when that radar kicks in and you ask a few questions, uh, you make a few suggestions, and you begin to minister to their hurting hearts. You heal their hearts as you comfort them, as you cry for them. You got to tend to them physically, emotionally, and you have to tend to them, of course, spiritually. Uh, Proverbs 29, there's a lot of passages in Proverbs, but here's a beautiful passage in Proverbs 29, verse 15, because you know you have to discipline them, right, Mom? It says right here in verse 15 the rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. You know, a child left to himself is a child that's neglected. A child left to himself is a child that is not disciplined by their parents. Oftentimes we'll blame our kids and we'll say, well, this one's not disciplined. And sure, by nature, maybe there are some that are uh, just wired differently. But regardless of how your child is made, God has made them and given them to you to produce an element of discipline within their hearts. And it's a responsibility, yes, that the fathers have, but the mothers as well. Right here we see that it brings shame to his mother. In most families, the father is the primary disciplinarian due to his strength and sternness, but this verse also implies that mom don't have to wait till father gets home, okay? <laughs> you know, you got to work on your swing. you got to, you know, work out... We really do see that in our text, that mom have a part. It says right here in the verbal correction, that's rebuke. And the rod right there is also corporal punishment. And so my encouragement to you is don't use your hand. Your hand should be an instrument of affection, but maybe use a stick or something. Um, <laughs> you know, a little something, a little wooden spoon, okay? And don't hit them anywhere else, I would say. You know, primarily you use it, you know, you, you give them a little swat right there. But you got to make it sting and um, never leave a mark, okay? And I, I don't say that for your own protection. I say that because when the Father disciplines us, He disciplines us in love. Don't be one of those moms who takes off her high heel and throws it at her son, or, okay? <laughs> but you do have a responsibility, right? And you have to do this uh, while they're young. Look at Proverbs 13 in verse 24. 
It says, uh, he who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. And the word promptly right there, it, it has the idea in the Hebrew of doing it early in life. It's something that you want to instill within their hearts at an early age, you know. And, and it's important because as you're, you know, you're going to see establishing the authority, a loving authority over them, then what ends up happening is then you have the ability, the capacity to teach them. Have you ever gone into a classroom where the teacher has no authority? Where the kids are throwing, you know, papers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know what? There's not going to be a lot of teaching going on in that classroom. Well, the same is true for parents. If you don't have that type of uh, structured, loving authority, then there's probably not going to be a lot of teaching. And without teaching, then there'll never be training. And without training, you'll never even be able to coach the way that you want to. And so you have to instill this within them at a young age because their little hearts and characters are being formed. And that's why we read this here, that you discipline them promptly. There's a poem I read, and it kind of describes this whole thing. It says, I took a piece of plastic clay and idly fashioned it one day. And as my fingers pressed it still, it moved and yielded at my will. I came again when days were past. The form I gave it still, it bore. And as my fingers pressed it still, I could change that form no more. I took a piece of living clay and gently formed it day by day and molded with my power and art a young child's soft and yielding heart. I came again when days were gone. He was a man I looked upon. He still that early impress bore and I could change it nevermore. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be used by God to continue to, you know, in one sense, fashion your children at an older age. But when they're younger, they're teachable. When they're younger, they're more pliable. And that's why you got to discipline them. And, you know, um, ask God to give you the wisdom in doing so. You discipline them. And as you're tending to them spiritually, you teach them. You, and you teach them the word, the word of God. Look what it says in Proverbs 1, in verse 8. It says, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. See the same thing over in Proverbs 6, verse 20, repeated verbatim. You know, it's the dad's job to teach the children, right? To teach them the word of God. And of course, you know, you bring them to church and we have them maybe for a couple of hours a week and you're thinking, well, the church is going to do it and, you know, my husband's going to do it. But most of the time, moms have most of the time with the kids. And one of the responsibilities that you have is to teach those children the word of God. That will be the greatest knowledge you can ever impart to them. Proverbs 31.1 says, The words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. You see, the best academy is on a mother's knee. That's what James Russell said. And I want to encourage you moms to know the word, to know the Lord. And then what you do is you teach your children the Word of God. You discipline them. You teach them the Word. And then you can train them in the way. Look over at Proverbs 22 
In verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. See, there is a difference between teaching your children and training your children. Training carries the idea of taking the lessons they've been taught, the knowledge that they've been given, and then showing them how to live these things out. Training them is application, while teaching is interpretation. Which means you can't train them unless you've taught them. And as I mentioned earlier, you can't teach them unless you've disciplined them. And so what you want to do is you show them, you know, Mio, this is how it works in life. Yes, this is the passage that you memorized, and I'm so proud of you that you've memorized this. Because as a, as a young child, man, it's amazing, you know, how their brains work, and they're able to memorize a hundred verses. But what good is it to know all those things and not know how to live this out in life? And this is what we do. This is what we do with our children. We discipline them, we teach them, we train them, and we pray for them. As a mom, I don't think there's anything more important other than living the life. I don't think there's anything more important in life than praying for your children. You know, we see Hannah in 1 Samuel one twenty-seven. she said, For this child I pray. And I just know that before her child was born, she prayed, and there's no doubt in my mind, such a godly woman, that she prayed for him her whole life. And I think sometimes this is something neglected in the hearts of moms. How we need to plead for our children in prayer. You know, I'm reminded of the Syrophoenician woman in Mark chapter 7, when she came to Jesus and her daughter was demon-possessed, and, you know, she didn't know what to do. There was nowhere else to go. And so she went to Jesus, and if you guys remember the story there, it seemed like Jesus wasn't paying attention to her. But she continued to pray, and she prayed wholeheartedly, and she prayed passionately, and she prayed faithfully. And eventually, Jesus granted her her request, how she came to Jesus, and her daughter was demon-possessed, and her mom Her mom was used by God to cast the demon out of her daughter. The mom did it. The daughter didn't do it. The daughter didn't choose. The daughter didn't change. The mom wrought the victory on her knees. And you got to know that this is what moms do. You know, they pray, for their, they pray for their children. You know, the interesting thing is when you read Mark 7, verse 25, it says the reason that she came to Jesus is because she heard about him. She heard about what he could do. She heard about him. She, she said, wow, you know, he raises the, the lame and he heals the blind and the deaf and the mute. I mean, he, he walks on water. He feeds the thousands. He is able. She heard about him. And, and what I want to encourage you today in is, have you heard? I mean, have you heard what the Lord has done in response to prayer? I know, I think I've relayed the story to you about Pastor Chuck. And, and one of the things that just blows my mind, and again, when we get to heaven, I have a feeling that the rewards are going to be given to a lot more moms 
than these guys that we think are so great. You know, every single night, Pastor Chuck said, before he went to bed, the, he said he could not remember a night when the last thing he heard was, you know, this was what he would hear every night, his mom praying. And he could never remember a time when he woke up in the morning when the first thing, wasn't the first thing that he heard was his mom praying. And, you know, and then you kind of figure, okay, well, that's probably a large part of the reason why God showed him so much grace, why God did such a great work in his life, because he had a mom like that who prayed for him. I mean, have you heard? Have you heard the stories? Have you heard of that other mom? Two out of three of her children were serving the Lord, and some parents might be content with this, but she definitely wasn't. And she had one son who was different. As a teenager, he was influenced by the loose living of his companions. Later, when studying at college, he decided to take a mistress, and then the young man was so bad. He told his mom, he said, you know what, things would be good between us if only you would simply give up your faith. But she didn't. She only prayed more and fasted more and cried and cried and cried more. One day this mom, her name was Monica, she approached a spiritual leader who was known for his knowledge of the scriptures and his habit of talking to people about the need for salvation. And so she went up to the spiritual leader and she asked him, she said, will you speak to my son? But he said, no, I don't need to. Let me explain why. It cannot be that the son of these tears would ever perish. He knew the power of prayer. And sure enough, it wasn't much time later where her son Augustine was saved. And he went on to become one of the greatest leaders the church has ever known. I mean, have you heard? Have you heard like this Syrophoenician woman heard? So she came to Jesus the way she came. Have you heard about Chuck Smith? Have you heard about Augustine? Have you heard about these godly men who are byproducts of praying parents? Maybe you heard about what God can do, what God will do if we will pray. Centuries later, on a Saturday afternoon in 1849, another mother prayed for the salvation of her only son. One day she was prompted by the Holy Spirit to leave her friends, to be alone with God, and to plead for his salvation. Hour after hour after hour passed while that mother was still on her knees until finally her heart was flooded with a joyful assurance that her prayers were heard. Sure enough, by the time she returned home, her son, Hudson Taylor, told of his conversion and went on to become one of the greatest and most effective missionaries in the history of the church. Founding the China Inland Mission, a man known primarily for his deep devotion to Jesus Christ. How? His mom prayed. We have to know our responsibility. Have you heard? Have you heard Jeremiah thirty-two twenty-seven? God's question, am I the Lord, the God of all flesh, and there's nothing too hard for me? God said, no. I like Jeremiah's answer to that. He said, Lord God, you made everything by your great power and outstretched arm, and there's nothing too hard for you. There is no child too wild. There's no child too far where God can't reach. 
But what we need to do is we need to believe. You know, one person said, when you were small and just a touch away, I covered you with blankets against the cold night air. But now that you are tall and out of reach, I fold my hands and cover you with prayer. What a difference a praying mom made in Abraham Lincoln's life. He said, I remember my mother's prayers, and they have always followed me. They have clung to me all my life. Pray over your kids. Pray for them. And one of the most important things a mom can do is found over in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And in verse 5, Paul said, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith, that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, I am persuaded, is in you also. I want to encourage you moms to have a genuine faith, a real faith, you know? I'll, I'll be honest with you, as a, as a dad, um, as a pastor, I consider this pulpit so holy, and I have to watch everything I say here. It's a holy place. But I, I got to be honest with you. As I talk to the Lord, and I'm not by any means downgrading this pulpit, my home is holier. My home. Where a lot of times I think we let our guards down and we don't consider it a holy place. We don't take the sandals off our feet. We don't think that we're walking on holy ground. For some reason, we think that at home, we don't have to be genuine. But I'm here to say that, you know, there's a lot of guys that stand behind pulpits and give God's word, and God honors his word. But at home, if you're not real, it will do so much damage. You have to have a genuine faith. And when that genuine faith, when we see it was in Eunice and Lois, what ended up happening? It eventually went to the heart of Timothy. Because if it's not real, then there's a large chance that it won't be real in your kids either. And a lot of times, that's the explanation. It has to be a genuine faith. You know, one day, Robert Ingersoll, I don't know if you guys know that guy, I hope you don't, but he was actually a skeptic, atheist, agnostic, and he would travel the world and actually talk about how Christianity was not real. You know, in his heyday, uh, he had two college students that went to hear him lecture. And as they walked down the street after the lecture, one said to the other, well, I guess he knocked the props out from under Christianity, didn't he? In listening to his lecture, didn't he disprove Christianity? But the other said, no, I don't think he did. Ingersoll did not explain my mother's life. And until he can explain my mother's life, I will stand by my mother's God. How important it is to have a genuine faith. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan, he was a great preacher. 
every preacher's dream. He had four sons that were all preachers as well. And so someone once came into the drawing room when they were all together as a family and they thought they could kind of mix things up and they asked one of the sons named Howard, uh, which one's the greatest preacher in your family? And Howard, he admired his father and he loved his brothers, but without a moment's hesitation, he said, Mom. (laughs) Mom's the best. Why? Because she preaches with her life. Right? And that's where we need to be moms. We need to know childbearing and the importance of it. You need to know child caring and all the responsibilities God gives to you. And then, maybe the hardest one of all, I don't know for sure, is uh, what I would call child sharing. And what I mean by that is that we raise them up to send them out. Right? Unfortunately, we can't keep them to ourselves. I almost hate the thought of not having my children with me, you know, every day. You know, they've been under my roof all these years. And I, you know, there's there they are. I kiss my daughter on her forehead. I give my son a big hug. And then the day comes and you got to send them off. Proverbs 127, verse 4, it says they're like arrows. And then one day they're taken out of the quiver. And then they're placed in the bow and they're shot farther than you have ever gone. That's our prayer. We prepare them for life. And we have to one day be willing to let go. It's part of the objective of parenting is to prepare our children for independent adulthood. It's all about receiving children from God, receiving children prayerfully, then become believing children, and then eventually believing children become leaving children. They got to go and to be who they are and God called them to be. For some, it's hard to let them go, I would imagine. For some, maybe it's not as hard. As one person said, it kills you to see them grow up, but I guess it would kill you more if they didn't, right? (laughs) Go. (laughs) Whatever you do, you guys. You know, and then just, you know, just that beautiful balance, God's perfect timing. God gives every parent wisdom with all their children, but... You know, whatever you do, don't raise him to be a mama's boy. Uh, don't keep her, you know, dependent upon you because, uh, you know, you really want him to be controlled by you. Uh, there's a big difference between counseling your children and controlling your children. Uh, you want to make them, you want to pray that God would raise him up to follow God, not you. And so, you know, God just brings us to that place, man. And You know, for me as a pastor, you know, and I've shared this with you, and I just want to reiterate, 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 that uh, it's about the family. It is about dads being dads and moms being moms, about husbands being husbands and wives being wives, children, friends, single people staying pure and waiting on the Lord and serving the Lord while you can in that way. And as we all take care of these things, God's going to make us a strong church. And God's going to do a great work. But we have to embrace our roles and responsibilities, especially, you know, all you moms. We love you. We thank God for you. You have such an awesome, awesome responsibility. And we're so grateful. You know, a lot of us here, we came from different backgrounds, right? Some of you here, maybe you were, I don't know, you did okay. When Some of you here... Um, I just got to say this, man. We were all raised in the hood, okay? In motherhood, okay? (laughs) 
And I pray that that motherhood uh, would be blessed, you know. And as we're looking at this, we're like, hey, you know, maybe you're here today as a mom and and you were all that, you know, because you are amazing and so much more. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, I've blown it, I've failed. Bottom line is, I guess we come to that place, all of us here, where we do fall short and we will fall short. You know, we sin, we blow it. But thank God we have a Savior. We have a Savior who is the God of the second chance. And we have a Savior who died for us on the cross. He was put in a grave and he rose again the third day. So that if you would turn from your sins and trust in him, then you and I, we could be saved. And when we die, we'll go to heaven. And while we live, we will live a life of abundance. My prayer is that if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know that that's the real reason, that you're here. And I pray that today would be the day, that today would be the day you receive him. Okay, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and grace in our life. I thank you so much for the moms. Thank you so much, Lord, for them. They're beautiful. They're amazing. The hardest job in the world. And yet, Lord God, um, I pray you would encourage them to know I can do all things uh, through Christ who strengthens me. I pray that today, Lord, they would be honored by their husbands, by their children, by uh, people that you place around their life. And even if for some reason that doesn't work out the way that it really should, that, Lord, they would know that they're honored by you, that you appreciate them, you love them. And so, Lord, I pray you bless. And, And, Lord, if there are any here today who don't know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And if you're here today and you want to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, God said that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not want one to slip away, but the choice is yours. What I want to encourage you to do is right now, you can pray. Right now, you can pray. To receive Christ. The Bible says as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so, if you receive that gift, turning from your sins and trusting in Jesus, right here, right now, everything changes. He loves you so much. And he wants to help you. He wants to set you free. He wants to save you from hell. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And so if you want to receive Christ, if you want to go to heaven when you die, you're not sure where you stand, but right now you want to make sure. And so you just pray this prayer. You pray it to the Lord. You mean it in your heart. Dear Lord, I come to you today, and I admit I have sinned, but I turn from my sin. And today I trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live life as a Christian from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3418.
1-4. Remember that Jesus loves you.